And we're, today we're starting a brand new sermon series entitled Stewardship. Now in our life group Friday night, uh, I was just, we were wrapping up. We talk about the Sunday events and the Sunday services at our life group. We've got a great life group. I thoroughly enjoy it. And so we were talking about it, and I said, well, you know, what's coming up is stewardship. I said, uh, is that word new to anybody? And I was amazed at how many in our group, and it was, we were down uh, in attendance just a little bit, but I was amazed how many in the group did not under, was not aware of this concept of biblical stewardship. So that really got me kind of fired up to talk to you this morning about this concept of biblical stewardship. So I want you to grab a pen. There's lots of notes, lots of scriptures, and we'll be using a lot of scriptures today. Some, uh, many are in your bulletin and many are not. So I want you to, to do that and take great notes. Now, if you've come to Kirby more than one service, you know we don't make a big deal about the money. Matter of fact, when we talk about taking the offering, almost always I say something to this effect, that if you're a guest with us today, this part of the service is not for you. You hear me say that a lot, don't you? And if you hear me say that a lot, say amen. So that way people who are just here for the first time are not going, yeah, sure, right. But we, we, while we don't make a big deal of, you know, the offering or trying to milk you for money or anything like that, we do make a huge deal out of biblical stewardship. And uh, at about, it's about life and leisure and work and resources. It's about your heart. Uh, it's, it is about money and what God has blessed you with. But make no mistake about it, biblical stewardship is a big deal in the Bible. So here's the key point I want you to understand. Here's the deal. Spiritually healthy Christians are people who are good stewards. Spiritually healthy people are good stewards. So today's sermon is entitled Stewardship 101, and the title of it is, Who Owns Your French Fries? All right? Who owns your French fries? When my boys were little, and when they were all in their little car seats or their little booster seats in the back, and we would be driving around Taylor when the church was on Old Wick Road and, and Taylor back in the day, and we would pull into the McDonald's. The reason we would pull into McDonald's is because I love their French fries. Amen? You may not like anything else that McDonald's has, but French fries, man, they're pretty good. And so it was my idea to go to McDonald's. It was my money that bought their fries. Matter of fact, I usually bought them a Happy Meal with the little cute little boy toy, you know, in there. And they tore it up before we got home, but still it was the, the toy in it. And so we would have just this McDonald's Happy Meal experience buy them, had the drink and the pop and all of that kind of stuff, hand it to them as we're pulling out of McDonald's, driving down the road, and I would reach over and I would say, can I have a couple of fries? And my stinking, rotten kids would go, no, no, they're my fries. And I would just sit there and think to myself, you stinking little kid, you act just like your mama. What do you mean they're your fries? It was my idea. It was my money. It was my voice. It was my exchange of material transaction. In fact, I even made you, buddy. And now you got the nerve to tell me that those aren't my fries? Oh, my goodness. Well, then I would go to the next child and then the next child. And then I'd loop back through and get my own French fries, you know? Well, I showed them. I quit getting taken to McDonald's. I started to take them to McSpinach and McSquash and McEggplant and all of those other places. Listen, here's the thing. 
God has given us resources, money, talent, ability, time, relationships. And when he asks for us to give some of it back to him, we act just like my children do. We go, no, I don't, I don't want to give it up. It's mine. And we hang on to it. We whine. And, and we actually look at God with a little disrespect. And we, in essence, say, keep your hands off of my fries. And we got to understand, he made us. He saved us. He purchased us. He created us. He created the potatoes. He created the french fries. And we act just like my boys sometimes with, with the french fries. And we go, it's my fries. And so biblical stewardship is when you can come to terms and answer the question, who owns your french fries? Got it? Who owns the stuff that fills your life? And so... We take, we're going to take an honest and important look at this biblical teaching of biblical stewardship. And again, I want you to understand the point. Spiritually healthy people are good stewards. Now, I also want you to know that biblical stewardship involves a comprehensive view of the Christian life. And it affects your time, your work, your leisure, your talent, your money. You can just put in there everything, care for the environment, the state of one's soul. It really is about who owns your french fries. Now, so let's just kind of start at the basics. Let's just kind of do a little stewardship 101 and kind of throttle it back for just a minute. The Greek word in the New Testament for steward is oconomos, where we get our word economy. It, is, it means one who manages as in a business or as in a household. See, years ago, before we had large financial institutions who would handle money market accounts and stock portfolios and, and 401ks and retirements and Roth IRAs and, and those kind of things, people would hire stewards to manage their affairs. In New Testament times, if you had a house in Jerusalem and then you had a house in Beersheba and you had a house over in Damascus, you would, hire a, you would hire a steward so that when you were traveling, and travel was hard back in that day, and so when you would travel, then you would leave a steward in charge who would conduct the affairs of your home just as if you were there doing it. They would act completely on the owner's behalf. Their idea, their thought was, if my owner was here, what would my owner do? The owner was right here. What would my owner do? And if that's what my owner would do, then that's what I'm going to do. That's the idea of a biblical steward. Matter of fact, it's not a new concept. You see stewards in the Old Testament, Joseph, who was in Potiphar's household. He was uh, sold into slavery and, and just kind of, because he was a godly young man, he just kind of kept rising to, to issues and places of favor. In Genesis 20, 39 and verse 8, it says that Potiphar, the wealthy owner, did not concern himself with anything in the entire house because Joseph was a good steward. Now, in today's terms, if you want to look at this idea of a steward, he's kind of like a manager at a local McDonald's who carries out the plans of the owners, maximizes the profits while handling all of the problems. The steward carries out the goals of the owner. And a steward is like a financial planner who handles your money as if it were his money so that your financial goals can be accomplished. Do you got the idea of steward? 
All right? Because a healthy, a spiritually healthy person is a good steward. You handle the stuff of life, the things that you've been blessed with in life, the stuff that God has given to you in life, just as if the owner of all that stuff you've been given were here. All right? So you and I are stewards. So biblical stewardship is a term theologically related to service, theologically related to ministry. Biblical stewardship, and I'm going to give you a couple of definitions. Biblical stewardship is undertaking God's interest for the pleasure of God. Others have said biblical stewardship is managing God's world in harmony with God's purposes and goals. I like this one the best. Biblical stewardship is using God-given resources to accomplish God-given goals and objectives. It is using God-given resources to accomplish God-given goals and objectives. And when you settle the question of who owns your fries, this thing of being a steward is so freeing, this thing of being a steward is so rewarding, and healthy people are good stewards. Now, if you're going to be a good steward, you got to understand the four basic principles of stewardship. All right? You got to get a grasp on the four basics, four basic principles of stewardship. The first one is this principle number one God owns everything, every French fry in the box, every French fry in the Happy Meal, every French fry in the McDonald's, every fry in every McDonald's. I'm just telling you, He owns everything. Now, let me just give you kind of some, some background to this. The principle helps us settle the question of who owns the French fries. And it recognizes God's complete ownership over all of his creation. And just in case you haven't heard or haven't heard it in a while, God created everything. He is not only our God, our provider, God, our savior, God, our rescuer, God, our peace, but he is God, our creator. And so the Old Testament makes it absolutely clear with confirmation in the New. Just listen to some of these verses that some of you are going to see up on the screen. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5. The whole earth, this is God speaking, the whole earth is yours? No. He wants Israel and all the world to understand the whole earth is mine. Leviticus 25, 23 says, for all the land is mine. Psalm 24 and verse 1, which is just one of those great chapters in the Bible, says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything, everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Now, turn to the person next to you and look nice and sweet because God owns them. And you don't want to mess with something that God owns. All right? The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and everything in it. You say, well, what about my car? Well, if, if you didn't have the job and the life and the abilities and the personalities and the education that you have, you wouldn't have the wherewithal to get the job to earn the money to make the car. As a matter of fact, when you die, either the car is going to rust out first or you're going to rust out. But either way, you both aren't going to be around forever. Got the idea? And so God owns everything. 
First Chronicles 29 and verse 14, write that verse down. First Chronicles 29 and verse 14 says this. But who am I and who are my people? That we should be able to give generously as this. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. David writing that. He would sing later in Psalm 50 verses 10 through 12. What he said in Psalm 24. It was a psalm that would kind of reappear several times. Again, if you have not read Psalm 24 in the Bible, I'm telling you, it's one of those great chapters. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. God owns everything. Here's the point. God owns your french fries. Turn to somebody, look at them, and just say it. Go ahead and tell them. God owns. Go ahead. I want to hear you say it. Come on. Just turn around and say it. God owns your french fries. Got it? That means that everything that you have, that means everything that you have. I know some of you want to go get McDonald's and get some fries right now. I understand what I'm doing. That means that everything you have is on loan to you from the owner. And when your time is done on this earth, he will take that and loan it to somebody else. He is the owner of everything. You brought nothing in this world, Job said, and you'll leave not taking anything with you. Why? Because God owns everything. Even you, even you, you personally, that unique individual that's called you are under God's ownership. Look at Deuteronomy 32 and verse 6. Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? The answer is yes. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4 says, For every living soul belongs to me, the father as well as the son, both alike belong to me. Romans 14, 8 says, If we live, we live unto the Lord. If we die, we die unto the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So therefore, you do not have the right to say, It's my life. I will do with my life what I want to do. You are not the owner of your life. You did not create your life. You do not sustain your life. You, do not you did not create the air that fills your lungs. You did not create your blood that pumps through your heart. You did, you did nothing to create or sustain life except enjoy the blessings of the life giver and the life sustaining work of God in heaven. Got it? He owns everything. Everything that includes you. Now, by the way, you say, well, I do have choice. Yes, you do. And you can choose your actions, but God will choose your consequences. Please understand, he is the owner. God is the inventor creator of everything. Therefore, he has the right of ownership. You know, when an inventor creates an invention, he gets a patent on it. And because he's got a patent in the U.S. Patents Office, that means that he forever retains ownership rights over his creation. And that means he has the final say-so of the thing that he created. Well, God is the creator God. Not only is the owner, he's the creator of it. He has this patent on the thing of life. And he, and he alone, has the final say-so over what 
goes on in his creation. He owns it all. Theologians try to quantify this a little bit. And they say that stewardship has four points. And write these down. And for the first kind of point that it touches on is creation. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. The earth, the stars, the sea, the skies, the plants, the animals, the koala bears, the giraffes, and the orangutans. While a great many shun the word environmentalist because of its political associations, we are called to be good stewards of the earth. Matter of fact, when Adam was created, the first thing that he was told to do was to take care of the earth. Till it. Take care of it. It was this beautiful garden. It was a labor of love. The second point touches on time. It has Time, when I was talking with a brother before at church, it's amazing how time just gets away. I just can't believe I'm 26 years old, amen? That ain't funny. I'm buying you no french fries. It is amazing how fast time just goes. We've all been given time. How long are you going to live? I don't know. But I will tell you that you will have enough time to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish if you are a good steward of your time. Well, then you have a body. You have a body. The Bible says your body is the temple of the Lord. And that's the, that's the third point. It touches on, your, on every part of you. Your, things like rest and weight and exercise, developing your intellect and emotional capacity and, and watching what you eat and, and, and being good stewards of all of that. And then finally, the material things, money and the stuff of life and your house and your cars and your, 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 just the stuff that you've accumulated Most people bristle at the idea that God is the owner of money and we're just stewards of his money after all the hard work you do to earn your money for me to say, well, it's not really your money, it's his money. It's kind of on loan to you from him because we kind of like to think we can take it with us. Anybody remember Ann Landers back in the days where there was newspapers everywhere? Well, Ann Landers was a columnist and a lady wrote in and she was writing about her uncle that had just passed away. And she said this, and I don't know what she was asking for, but she said her uncle was the tightest man I've ever known. All his life, every time he got paid, he took $20 out of his check and he put it under his mattress. Then he got sick and he was about to die. And while he was laying dying, he pulled his wife gently close to him, gave her a kiss on the cheek, and tried to whisper something, and she knew it was going to be something so romantic, so just... And he said, sweetheart, when I die, get all the money under the mattress and put it in the casket with me. Well, the man died. The woman did exactly what she said she would do. She got all of the money out out from under the bed. She took it to the bank, deposited it, wrote a check, and put it in the casket. And I'm just telling you, you can't. You don't get to take it with you. That's the idea. At the end of your day, God owns the french fries. The spiritually healthy people recognize God as creator. Principle number two is that God blesses us with the resources we need to accomplish God-given goals. Not only is God the owner of everything, but since he's the owner, he's the provider, and he gives us the resources we need to accomplish his God-given goals. In the parable... 
of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And, and write that reference down, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. It speaks to the need of serving in the kingdom of God. Now, in the parable, the owner divided the money and the talents to his servants according to their abilities. No one received more or less than he could handle. They had everything they needed, if, and if they failed in their assignment, it was either due to laziness, hatred for the master... Or they just feared the owner so much they were paralyzed to do anything. And so they went off and the owner went off and he came back. By the way, in the parable, the talent represents any resource we've been given by God. Your personality, your ability to learn, your intellect, your ability to play the guitar the drums, to sing as beautifully as what you heard sung this morning. And didn't Stacy do an awesome job with that song? What a blessing. Spoke to my heart. Hey, if you're good with math, if you're good with quantum physics, if you're good with, with cooking, I mean, anything that you have, God gives it to you as a resource. Money, possessions, your home. It's a resource God has loaned you to accomplish God-given goals. Well, then the owner came back. And we're responsible to use well what God has given us. The issue is not how much you have, but how well you use what we have to accomplish God's will. It's not about the quantity of what you have. It's about the quality of what you do with what you've been given. So what are your resources over? Just broad areas, your resources over your life. Everything that makes you uniquely you. Life itself is a sacred stewardship. It is a precious gift given to you on loan from God. Therefore, we live according to his pleasure, not our own discretion. And this simple realization alone should impress upon you the responsibility to, to serve him. And also, God says he gives us time. The Bible says in Psalms 31, 15, my times are in thy hand. Psalm 90 and verse 12, God advises us to number the days and apply our hearts to wisdom. Ephesians 5, 16 says we're to redeem the time. We're to use it wisely. The scripture places great emphasis on the brevity of life on the brevity of life it's here and it's day it's like a smoke and a vapor that's just here today and then it's gone and then we're blessed with talents in matthew 25 talent was a was a money term but here it refers to varying various abilities your intellect your, your knowledge your people skills your lack of people skills, your, your emotional IQ, all of it flows from the, from the provisions of a good God. I think God gives us treasure. God does bless us. And when we think of treasure, we think of, we think of money. We think of finances, but your car, your house, the food in the fridge, I mean, it, it's, it's all his. Don't hold on to his stuff tightly. Matter of fact, God can't put blessings in your hand if you go through life hanging on tightly to the stuff he's loaned you. 
But if you keep an open hand, God who owns everything can loan you more stuff. Oh, he may take stuff out of your hand and loan it to somebody else. But if you go through life with an open hand, generosity becomes an easy expression of grace. And so the first principle is God owns everything. The second principle is that that God is... uh, uh, gives us all the resources we need. The third principle is that we're personally responsible for what God has given to us. We are personally responsible for what God has... We're personally responsible for the french fries God's given to us. All right? Got it? Let me give you some scripture. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each one of us should use whatever gift... Now, this is a spiritual gift, but it can be broadened out to the resources that God's given to us. Each of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. It can also be translated this way, paraphrase. Be generous with the different things God gave you, passing them around so all get in on it. I love that paraphrase. Be generous with the different things God gave you, passing them around so that all get in on it. Listen, everybody knows that they have some high level of ability in some areas. Some are good at math. If you're good at math, raise your hand. i just like to see who you are. Six people are good at math. Great. Thank you. How many of you are good at building things? Raise your hand. You are good at building things. Awesome. Engineers all over the place raising their hands. God bless you. These are the hands of a klutz right here. I'm just, I'm just telling you. How many of you good are, are good at singing? Raise your hand. Now, how many of you are good at singing by yourself when nobody's around? Man, you really think you're really good. Yeah, amen. You got the idea. Organizing things, designing things, teaching things, giving things, whatever your thing is, every one of us has a thing that you're good at. At least one thing, and it's probably more. Don't go around saying, I can't do nothing for God because I don't have any talent nor ability. That is a lie of the devil because he wants you to live in the realm of inactive service to a wonderful, holy, loving God in heaven. And he does not want you to know the joy of living a generous stewardship life. And so to say, I have no talent, I have no ability, that is a lie. You have something. It may not be the thing that is the thing of the person next to you, but God has given you your thing and he's given them their thing so that it can all be used to make you happy. That's not his point. His point is God gives us biblical stewardship, is God-given resources to accomplish God-given goals and objectives. What he has given you, he has loaned you so that you use it with an open hand to bless others with. God has never given you anything so that you can selfishly indulge in it to to the exclusivity of others. Everything that you've been given It's been given to you in order that it might bless someone else. And so, 
we have to understand that we're personally responsible to what God has given us. Deuteronomy 24, 16 says, you're judged on your own deeds. Luke chapter 19 and verse 4 says, we don't have anyone to blame with what we do with the thing that God's given to us. Ezekiel 18, 20 says, the soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of his fathers, nor the father will share in the guilt of his son. The righteousness of a righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked man will be charged to him. And that basically what he's saying there is, listen, the stuff that God's given you, you're going to be held accountable for, and that's the fourth principle of good stewardship, a biblical stewardship, is personal accountability. And the things that God has given you, the stuff, the things that God, who is the owner, who is the provider of everything that you have, and now you're responsible for the stuff, for the children, for the wife, for the husband, for your mom, for your dad. You're responsible for the stuff. Your bank account, your, your financial decisions, your, your time, your, your leisure activity. God says you're going to be accountable for the stuff. You're going to be accountable for the fridge fries that I've given to you. Biblical stewardship involves personal accountability. Remember the parable of the talents in chapter 25 of the book of Matthew? Well, the owner of the household came back. And he gave one guy five talents, and, and he did well and got five more. And the owner said, blessed art thou. And then the one who had three got three more, and he said, blessed art And then the one who had one took, and he hid it. Now, the point is not to go into all of the issues of, of judgment. It's just to simply saying that one day you will give an account to God for the things, for the stuff, for the french fries he has placed in your life. And did you go through life hanging on to it? Or did you go through life with an open hand just freely giving it away? How many M&Ms? If you, if you got a child, most likely they've been to my office and they've gotten candy out of my office. And that's cool. I love it. I love when they do it. Because they're in children's church and it gives me a little time to interact with them. But now there's one rule when you come to my office. You got to get a big handful of M&Ms. I mean, you got to like make your hand a shovel and scoop it down there and pull it up. So you got to use two hands. I wonder how many M&Ms you could hold in one hand. And then mom says, can I have an M&M? And they look at mom like. But when they learn, like I'm pastor grandpa, and I'll give them all the candy they want because I don't have to take them home with me. (laughs) Sugar high means nothing to me. See, have a great afternoon. You say, I don't know how many M&Ms you can hold. But as long as you hold all you can hold, and you hold what you can hold, you will never be able to hold any more than you can hold. But if you go through life with an open hand and let God give, and God bless others by what he's given you, and then God puts in and God moves, and God puts in and God 
allows you to bless others and God moves in and lays it on your heart and you give it away, you will always have room for more blessings, more stuff, more french fries. Got the idea? Biblical stewardship involves personal accountability, but we go through life hanging on to it, thinking that we got to get it. We bought into the materialistic culture around us that says, I got to get all I can while I can so I can enjoy as much as I can. And I'm just simply saying that biblical stewardship stands in opposition to all of that. God will bless you. He's not against blessing you. But God says, just use the blessings that I've given you at my discretion for my purposes, not yours. And as you follow my purposes and my discretion, then you will understand the true value and the true meaning of life. Several years ago, there was a movie, a film called Schindler's List, and it chronicled the heroic effort of a German industrialist named Oskar Schindler. Through his unselfish activity, over a thousand Jews on trains to Auschwitz under Nazi Germany were saved. And after Schindler found out what was happening at Auschwitz, he began, to he began a systematic effort to save as many Jews as he could. For money, he could buy Jews and make them and help them to work in the factory, his factory, which was supposed to be part of the military machine of Germany. And on one hand, he was buying the Jews to save them and as many as he could. And on the other hand, he was deliberately sabotaging the ammunition produced in that factory. He entered the war, or he entered the war a very, very wealthy industrialist. I mean, he was a wealthy, wealthy man. By the end of the war, he was basically financially bankrupt. And when, Ger when Germany surrendered, Schindler met with his workers and he declared that at midnight they would all be free. They could do and go and live and whatever they wanted. They were free. The most emotional scene, though, I think, comes following that when Schindler said goodbye to the financial manager of the plant, the Jew and, and a good and trusted friend. He embraced his friend with tears in his eyes. And he said, I wish I could have done more. And he looked at his automobile and he said, why did I save this? Why did I save it? I could have bought 10 Jews with that and taken another possession out of his office. He said, why did I save it? Why didn't I use this to save another one? This would have saved another one. Why didn't I do more? And see, one day Jesus Christ is going to return for us who call ourselves Christians who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it's not going to matter how much money you have in the mutual fund. It's not going to matter how many bedrooms you have in the house, the temporary satisfactions that we get in vacations and nice cars. It'll all be gone. And only what is done for Jesus Christ will truly matter. And in that moment when you stand in front of him and you see life, you see life from eternity's perspective, not earth perspective, when you see life from God's vantage point, not this viewpoint, you're going to look and say, oh, why couldn't I have done more? Why didn't I do more? Why did I hang on to it so tightly? Why did I act like it was mine and not his? Well, why was I so self-indulgent and not, my goodness, you're going to walk on streets of gold one day inside walls of jasper that are 1,500 miles high. And you're worried about a car? 
You worried about the french fries? God is the provider. And God gives us the resources we need. And it's our responsibility to use those resources for God-given purposes and God-given objectives so that as many people in this world might be saved and blessed by the message of the kingdom of God. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes?